So I'd ask you to pray with me one more time, guys, as we dive into Romans chapter 14. And as we do that, we, uh, we want to just kind of give you a heads up. The end is near of the Romans series. We've been working on Romans for weeks and weeks. It's been an awesome blessing. We will conclude Romans at the end of this month in August. And then we're going to have a new series coming up called Mirror, Mirror in September, which is going to be a lot of fun. So pray with me, and then we'll kind of dive in and take a look at the scripture together. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, stop the world yet again and focus upon your voice, to hear the words that you speak. Uh, Like Vendetta said earlier, the scripture is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. So you chose regular average human beings like me and like my friends here to speak God's word through. And so I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the opportunity to hear your words that are inspired by you and given by you. As we dive in to Romans chapter 14 and look at the idea of not judging each other, but instead accepting and welcoming and loving each other with hospitality and with grace, we ask God that you help us to remember that you have called us to clothe ourselves with Christ, to wear Jesus as our clothes as that part of us that is uh, front presenting, present before the world. Uh, So we ask God that you inspire us and grow more faith in us now. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. So again, as we've uh, made our custom, I'd invite you to pull your phone or your Bible and take a look through one of the apps, one of the free Bible apps such as YouVersion. Get the scriptures in front of your eyes. What I want you to think of, especially as we've been talking about Romans and people living in the Roman church, is the idea of a Roman sword. A Roman sword is only good if it's what? Sharp. And so with you having the scriptures in front of your eyes, what you're doing is you're sharpening the sword of your faith. You're sharpening your use and your ability of God's word by having the words actually in front of you. And the beautiful thing about the technology we have these days is that just about anybody all over the planet has access to the Word of God and can see it for him or herself. Now, you heard a version of the scripture read earlier. Cassie read us the message version, and we chose that because the message version, it's a paraphrase of scripture. I love the idea of the prime rib and broccoli. Did you catch that? Eugene Peterson wrote this uh, paraphrase of scripture some years ago called the message. And what he was referring to was this uh, dissension that had started to form in the early Roman church. You might remember, if you were around from the beginning of the series, that the Roman church that uh, Paul would have been writing this letter to somewhere around 60 AD, uh, 60 years after the birth of Jesus, uh, that church had a combination of Jewish people and Gentile people. Now, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is simply not a what? Not a Jew. So we are Gentiles in this room. And the Roman church back then would have had a combination of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews in that time uh, would have been tempted to observe religious festivals and feasts and customs that were normal for Jewish people. And for them, that didn't really include eating a whole lot of meat. 
If you look back into their history, meat was kind of like a delicacy that would have been enjoyed during a special festival. It wasn't your average meat and potatoes every night for dinner. In a lot of ways, they would enjoy a, mainly a vegetarian type of diet. Whereas your Gentiles in Rome, man, they had meat and potatoes every night. It was like going to Cracker Barrel if you went to one of their houses, right? And so you've got these people all together in one, in one church, and they've become comfortable with the idea that they all follow Jesus. They all believe that Jesus died for them on the cross and then miraculously rose again for them from the grave three days later. And that that miraculous act washed away all of the sin and dissension that stood between them and a holy God forever. And trusting in that fact, trusting in what historically happened, that we have eyewitnesses to the fact, trusting in what historically happened means that God looks at them with fresh eyes and looks at them as though they never sinned and never will sin again. They all believed that and had that in common, but they all had cultural histories behind them that began to clash. So some of those Gentiles who ate like Cracker Barrel every single night would look at what the Jews were doing and would begin to judge them for not eating meat. And likewise, some of the Jews would look at the Gentiles and say, why are those guys so gluttonous? Why would they treat themselves to what you know, should be a holy delicacy? And they were beginning to kind of squabble between them. And then that led to the idea of keeping holy days. Some of them felt like certain days of the week, a la the Sabbath day for the Jews, which was what? Saturday, was holier than any other day of the week. The Gentile Romans would not necessarily have seen a particular day as holy, depending on what God they used to worship before they ran into Jesus Christ. And so they would begin to get comfortable and kind of bicker and squabble amongst themselves about particulars. So the scripture that I picked out of that reading today, out of the whole chapter 14 in Romans, centers on verses 5 through 9. I'm just going to read it for you in a little different version than what we read earlier. This is the NIV. The Bible says one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And as we kind of made a custom going through Romans, we pick out a snapshot scripture, and then we focus in on three concepts. Things go better in threes, don't they? You can handle three concepts in a row. Whereas in a lot of cases, if we gave you too much information, it would be too much to swallow and you might glaze over. So that's why we stop in this series and use our microscopes and focus in on smaller portions so they can really savor uh, God's wisdom and God's truth through them. So the first of them that's bolded up there is doing something to the Lord. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. 
Now, I want to throw out a proposition for you. You may have become used to some spiritual disciplines as a follower of Jesus. You might have a particular prayer time where you will go away by yourself and spend time praying, just like the lady in the upper left-hand corner on screen. You may have a time like the gentleman in the lower left-hand corner who pulls his Bible and goes off by himself and reads the Bible. These are great spiritual disciplines and help us to grow as followers of Jesus. And then you may be a part of a small group where at Trinity we believe the number one most effective way to grow as a disciple of Jesus is to be in a small group. Not necessarily to lead one, but to be in one. And you may even be one of those people who's called to lead one. Not everyone is. But the number one most effective way to grow as a disciple at Trinity, and we believe elsewhere, is to be a part of a small group Bible study. And then, of course, there's the Sunday gathering, and you can see your beautiful image there on screen, where we do this every week. And by and large, what we do is we focus on teaching God's Word and teaching the Bible, but we also carve out a significant amount of time to talk to each other. And by default, we carve out enough time to listen to each other so that we can practice our conversation skills, as Stephanie said, so that our faith becomes a conversational, relational part of our existence. So that our faith is not simply something that we come to church once a week and consume, like the good American consumers many of us are. We come to church instead and we practice skills that we then carry out into our lives and practice in our everyday life. The idea of being hospitable to each other, the idea of welcoming each other and listening to each other, and the idea of letting God use each other to encourage and build others up. See, these are all spiritual disciplines that we practice as followers of Jesus. But what if our spiritual disciplines look different from the spiritual disciplines of other people in the church? For example, what if when you get together for a small group, it's a bunch of men? Maybe all of your men in your men's group wear suits and go out together for dinner. Our men's group doesn't wear suits, right, Tim? Thanks be to God. But it's a bunch of men who get together and go to the patio. And sometimes we study the Bible and sometimes we just plain talk to each other. Sometimes we get down to business and sometimes we just hang. In both of those cases, the Holy Spirit is at work and present. That doesn't necessarily look like your average Bible study. Sometimes it's a bunch of dudes who look like they've been kicked out of their homes and are in need of a meal. But it's fun, and we enjoy each other's company. And then the image of the random guy on the motorcycle there on the left, that is the only way some people can get away and pray and be alone. That's me about four years ago. When I get away on the motorcycle, I get a chance to get away and just spend time with God, and I cannot talk on the phone, and I cannot use a computer, and I cannot be distracted by life. I have to focus on the road to stay safe, and in those moments, I get all kinds of clarity from God. That's not your average prayer time, is it? For me, it's very special and very rare. Or you may, instead of reading the Bible, like the young lady in the lower left-hand corner, you may listen to the Bible. Did you know that there are dramatized versions of the New Testament and now the Old Testament that you can purchase and download for pretty cheap? 
and you can ride around and when you're in your car, you can listen to the scripture. Since I was a kid, I never liked to read, never liked to open a book and read. It was always a lot of work, but I could sit and listen to a story or listen to nonfiction or listen to something as a musician and take that information in and have it have the impact on me that others find when they read. Uh, my wife Heather's a reader. She reads a lot. I could not read the volume of material that she reads. It would wear me out. She does it to relax. So when I found that the Bible was avail available in a different form, in audio, I was like, yes, finally it's now in a medium that I can take and grow from. So I listen to the scriptures in the car. Whatever your slant is, the idea is the number one most important thing about your faith with uh, the others in, in the church that you enjoy that experience with and your faith in Christ, the most important part is your relationship with him. That is why we have Bible study time. That is why we have small group time. And that is why we have this venue right here. We have those disciplines, not because doing the things associated with those disciplines earns us God's favor. We don't do these things to be more holy. We do these things because we have a relationship with God that is personal and corporate. The relationship is between God and me vertically. It's vertical and it is corporate. It's horizontal. The relationship I have with God is vertical in that I spend time alone with him and it is horizontal in that I spend time with others who also have that same vertical relationship. And consequently, it happens to make the sign of the cross. Hmm. Almost like God knew what he was doing. These are balanced against each other. But the disciplines we practice, we practice as a way to grow in our relationship with God. We don't have a God who is separate and impersonal that we have to please. We have a God who is pleased with us already because of Jesus and wants us. He desires us. He is jealous for us. He works for us. He's patient for us and with us. And so these disciplines are there for our relationship. See, the Roman church forgot about that. The Roman church got sidetracked and started looking at the disciplines people were practicing in their life instead of the point of the disciplines in the first place, which is what? Vertical relationship with God and me and a horizontal relationship between myself and the world. They forgot about that and focused on the minutiae. You know, sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing. The idea might be, does a person like contemporary worship or traditional worship? Does a person listen to the Bible or read the Bible? Does a person pray before a meal or pray once a week at church or pray in a closet at home alone every day? Does a person take communion every time? We begin to look at these differences amongst us and even especially uh, differences amongst denominations of Christians and focus more on the differences than we do on the same, which is faith in Jesus and an abiding 
working relationship with God that is every day, all day, every step, every thought, every word, and every deed. Now, kind of taking a, 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 a step to the side on this idea, those other spiritual disciplines have all kinds of different modes, and you can change them, whether you get out on your bike and ride to have prayer time or have prayer time in a closet by yourself at home. The one exception is this, corporate worship. This is something that you can't really replace with something on your own. This is something that you can't replace with a TV show or a DVD. This is something that God has said, don't give this up, continue to do it so that you can meet together and encourage each other through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, praying for each other, reading the word together. But sometimes stuff gets in the way of this particular meeting and we have to be flexible. Sometimes we're involved in sports and the people who organize the sports don't necessarily care about Sunday morning worship. And maybe there's a sports game that's been programmed for Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And then you ask yourself the question, what do I do? Because if I honor that commitment to go to sports, then I'm skipping church, right? And isn't that bad? You know, with uh, the occasional exception, when you go and do a sporting event on a Sunday morning where it's the occasional exception, then in my opinion, you are going there and you're being the church at that sporting event. There may be people at that sporting event who have no contact with God whatsoever except for what they see in you. And so it's not healthy for us to miss corporate worship on a regular basis. But if you have to miss corporate worship every once in a while, you know, once every few weeks, then take the opportunity to be the church where you are. Don't carry guilt around for missing church. Instead, go and be the church where you are. And then chances are, when you come back, you'll have a new appreciation for the way God used you on the sports field that previous weekend. Now, what I don't wanna to say to you is make it a habit or a practice of missing church and only coming once a month. Remember, you are the church. Be here together corporately as often as you can be. That's our value that we're teaching. But don't beat yourself up for missing occasionally. Take those opportunities to be the church where you are. Here's the reason why. The scripture goes on and talks about not only doing so to the Lord and not only doing what we do for God's kingdom's sake, but remembering that none of us lives for ourselves alone. We live for and with this corporate body. Remember the horizontal relationship and the horizontal bar of the cross helps us to remember that. Here's the idea. Jesus is teaching his disciples, his first learners, how to fish. Now, most of them are already fishermen. They know how to fish, and remember, they don't eat a lot of meat. They get the delicacy of fish every once in a while, and they have to go out and catch that fish. So a lot of them are familiar with the discipline of fishing. But then Jesus begins to use that discipline to teach them another value. He says, come follow me and I will show you how to do what? Fish for people. Now, let me ask you a question. 
The last time you went fishing, did you catch a fish every time you cast the line into the water? No. And these guys, when these guys were learning how to fish as kids, they would cast the net out into the water. Did they catch a lot of fish every time? No. Sometimes maybe they caught license plates or whatever came up instead of fish. Maybe they were discouraged that they weren't supposed to have any fish to eat that day. Maybe they had difficulty learning how to cast the net. Maybe they just were trying to stay on the boat and not fall over the edge and drown. Maybe they were learning the discipline, and as they learned and became more experienced, they would see the fruit of that labor much later. Jesus understood these dynamics when he was teaching people how to be members of the kingdom of God. He taught them that they would become fishers of people, which means their lives and the way they live their lives together would become attractive to people like a net would gather fish, where people would look at a gathering of people like this and say, you know what, there's something missing in my life that I believe God put there. And I believe this family of believers will meet that need. So I will join them. I will get into the net and I'll be a part of their life. I will do things with them and for them that I might not do anywhere else. The Bible talks about this. It talks about the idea that when we understand who we are in the church and how we are to live, just like Vendetta was saying a few minutes ago, once we understand how we are to live as members of the body of Christ, we begin to understand that the reason God instructs us is to teach us how to live a life that is healthy in the kingdom of God and how to portray a life that is healthy to people outside the kingdom of God. And then Paul begins to talk about stumbling blocks and in the freedom we have in Jesus Christ, not doing things that will potentially help or, or hurt other people's faith, uh, what the Bible calls a stumbling block. Uh, here is where God teaches us what not to do along with what to do. He teaches us not to argue and bicker and fight over minutia. He teaches us to focus on him and his work. Here's an example. We like to stream shows at our house on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And every once in a while, we will start streaming a series that captures our attention and we'll get into the series and we'll find ourselves stopping streaming the series after a number of episodes. Why? Because in the beginning of the series, there may be some you know, colorful language or some subject, subjective uh, scenery that's going on in there that, that might you know, cause us some concern. But as we get into the series, we get hooked on the story, don't we? And we want to continue to watch so that the story develops. And we might even find ourselves putting up with more questionable language, more subjective type uh, material that we would not normally accept into our hearts and into our household because we're hooked on the story. And then we find ourselves episodes and episodes into the thing, making excuses for watching it because we really like the story. And so, oh, it's just Hollywood. Hollywood just portrays stuff that way. We just deal with it. But then after a while, it starts to change the heart 
inside of you and it starts to mess with your mind, you start to think in the way those people think and the, use the language that they use and you start to uh, change your behaviors so that uh, they are more reflective of the shows that you're watching than what, you life, what life you're called to live in Christ. You begin to see a change in your attitude and behavior where you find certain things acceptable that weren't acceptable before you started the show. At least that's a temptation to me. Now, maybe you can filter it out. Maybe the Holy Spirit has taught you how to do that and you've, you've developed a, a, a callousness or a shield around your heart that shields it out. But I would wager most of us in the room are like me. You get hooked on a show and then you begin to make excuses for Hollywood. I've found it in my house that I've had to stop a show because the show started to mess with my heart. See, in the church, sometimes we get sidetracked. And that's why the Bible is always in front of us. Because the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts to the heart. It reminds us who we are and whose we are. And all the disciplines that we engage in around the scripture are designed to help us to stay God's people. Look at what the scripture says on that note. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. See, here's the idea. When you join up with the Christian faith, you're joining not only the people who sit with you and in front of you and behind you, but you're joining with thousands and thousands and years of people who've had faith in Jesus from the beginning and those who will have faith in Jesus yet to come. You're joining a family, a family of people who have something in common. And that commonality is Jesus. And as long as the family keeps that commonality at the center of who they are, then they will remain family. It's when the family takes their eyes off of Jesus and begins to focus on differences amongst us that we stop acting like family. Isn't that true? When Jesus is at the center of our family, then we know whose family we are. We know who it is that we will bow before when he returns one day on the clouds, along with everybody else. I don't know about you, but when that day comes and when Jesus comes on the clouds and makes his second appearance, I will gratefully get down on my knees and give praise to him with everything I've got. And there may not be much left. Maybe I'll be very old when that happens. Maybe it'll be next week. But I can't wait to subject my life to Jesus. I can't wait. Why? Because he loves me. And he died for me. And he gave up everything for me. And he subjected himself to the world so that I would live and that he would die instead. And then he conquered death and rose again for me. I can't wait to bow down before him like this. I think that'll be the most amazing worship service ever. And I'd invite you and ask you, if you're listening by the sound of my voice on podcast, or if you're in this room and if you've never trusted God before, 
for Jesus' sake. Trust him now. He loves you. He wants you. He desires you. And he pursues you, especially and ever presently in his word and through his word. That's what this is all about. That's what Bible study is all about. That's what devotional time is all about. It's not about pleasing God by doing stuff. It's about being God's pleasing person, the one that we already are in his mind. We're going to invite the kids in here in a couple of minutes. And before we do that, I'd ask you to pray with me. And we're going to sing a song together and respond to the good news of Jesus. But just remember this as we close this message. Even if there are differences among us, and if we have differences and preferences among us, those differences are okay. We know that Jesus is the one who's at the center of our life, our life between us and God, and our life between us and others. Amen? Amen. By the way, what does amen mean? It means I agree, doesn't it? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you for giving me a brand new life, a life that is yours, a life that is owned by you, that is run by you, is led by you, and sacrificed for by you. God, sometimes I'll just be honest. I am tempted to try to be my own God, to make my own decisions and lead my own way without you. And I know that that's just like running in circles sometimes. You would nod your head and very lovingly say, yes, my child. That's why I let you run in circles. So one day you will find a different shape, the shape of the cross. It's a shape that is vertical and horizontal and all-encompassing. And because of Jesus, God says, I forgive you all your sins. I died for you and I rose for you. God, I thank you so much for that message. I need to hear it. I need to hear your heart. I need to feel it beating. So come now and plant that seed in me and share it through me. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.